I'm DJ. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to One Shot Tavern, a TTRPG podcast where we seek out new ways to tell stories through different systems and games. So today's episode, we are talking about uh, mainly uh, Candela Obscura from Critical Role's Darrington Press. Um, it's a brand new game. Uh, it has been uh, only out for a couple weeks now, um, but they've had a rules preview out, preview out for much longer than that. Love it when publishers do that. Um, and uh, we had the wonderful opportunity to have uh, GM Danil from Start Playing Games uh, run a session for us, and uh, we got to really dive into kind of what makes this system tick. Yeah, it was my first time playing a uh, dark Lovecraftian mystery type game. Uh, hopefully, it won't be the last. I want to try them all, uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was definitely like I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed the story. Um, and I enjoyed the mood and just kind of like this, this, um, uh, very almost Victorian esque atmosphere. I thought that was super compelling. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the system itself mechanically, right. Is inspired a lot by blades in the dark and powered by the apocalypse. Um, Systems that I have not played yet. I've heard a lot about them, and I'm sure we're going to be getting to in a future episode here. Um, they're on the list. Yeah, they're definitely <laughs> on the ever-growing list. Um, but what was cool about this, and, and a big portion of what we'll be talking about before we get into um, showing you some of our awesome session and our conversation with Danil afterwards, um, is honestly the, the stakes that they play with in this world. So... Um, the world itself of Candela Obscura is kind of a faction-based episodic, uh, world, uh, I guess, game and world. So you're a part of an order within Candela Obscura, which is kind of like an anti-supernatural uh, uh, group. Not anti, you get what I'm saying, though. They, they help deal with supernatural right. threats within a, like, Victorian kind of pseudo-Lovecraftian um, world. And this is... Right like further in like built on by the ideas of like bleed, which is like this other realm kind of energy coming in and whatnot, as well as just like, like I said, the episodic format that we're familiar in shows like supernatural or, you know, uh, right. X files or any of these like procedural cop shows. Honestly, it fits really well into that. And something Danil did really well that set the tone for me, at least was narratively setting up scenes much more in a cinematic sense, talking about where the camera mm -hmm. is and kind of introing things. You know, I, we might even throw right. a cr clip in right here of him doing that. We zoom in on the wife's face as she's sort of listening intently with like a faint smile. Uh, we can see as it often is that there is definitely some other thoughts going uh, in her head in the background as she's listening and nodding along. Um, when suddenly her expression changes to that of utter horror and shock and as the camera moves back out we see that the entire form of her husband ripples <laughs> and melts into one puddle of reflective liquid she stands up, screws. We don't hear a noise as we are now looking through the window, but we see her screaming, panicking, sort of grabbing things and sort of grabbing her head. 
and we fade back into the fog. But I loved how well the tone of the world that we are in and the episodic nature really drove me to kind of focus in on what mattered for this session and what, because it was a one shot and also just like get familiar with um, what it means to kind of be a paranormal investigator. Right. And the big thing with a setting or TTRPG like this is very much those those descriptions of scenes, the soundscape, the music, like just building off this atmosphere, right? Because like a lot of these uh, types of games, it's less less likely that you're going to have like um, props and many well more likely you're gonna have props but less likely that you're going to have like terrain and uh, a battle map right because it is uh very much a narrative experience about what's going on um you might have them for some of like the uh small fights and stuff that happen throughout but it's this the system the setting it doesn't really work unless you are able to kind of creep into someone's subconscious with that music, uh, with with the eerie sound effects, you know, with a nice visual aid to set things up. And Danil did fantastic oh, with yeah. that. Uh, I felt very much in the world. And as he was describing things, I was seeing it in my head. Uh, and it was it was it was a great, was great time. On that note, uh, Danil runs games over on Start Playing Games. Uh, a lot of the GMs that we're going to be working with in the podcast uh, will be in the same boat. Uh, DJ here also runs games over on Start Playing Games. <laughs> you can hire these people. You can play in their games. This is totally yeah. accessible. Uh, fortunately, I, I don't know if you're planning on it, but DJ is not running Candela Obscura right now, but Danil is. Not yet. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can definitely take a look. We'll have links in our description and whatnot where you can join and uh, play in some of these games and, and take it for a whirl yourself. Let us know what you think, if you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I want to get into uh, one thing more as a, a general mechanic and GM advice, right? Because we could, we could just do a review about this system. Uh, my short review is try it out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> There's a rules yeah, preview. Definitely. You can try it for free. If you've never played in a Powered by the Apocalypse game or a Blades in the Dark game, this is a, a great way to get into that from what I understand mm-hmm. and what I've researched about those systems. Um, here's the part that I love. There are interesting story-driven stakes and... Uh, consequences tied to what the players failure. are doing and, and failure, right? Yeah. So you look at, and, and again, we're always, we're always going to likely be comparing somewhat to Dungeons and Dragons because it's the, of course, it's the predator of our experience in TTRPG. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not the pinnacle. Um, depending no, it's on, not, but it is the, it is, it is the yeah. pillar. It, right? And it's, like, <laughs> it's often people's first experience in tabletop RPGs. Yeah. Um, it, unlike one of our other coming interviews, he, he started on, uh, powered by the apocalypse, which is like fascinating. Fantastic. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> but what they do is, is there are three pools, um, inside of your character sheet. Uh, it, which you can take damage to, right? There's uh, like a mental, a physical, and then bleed. Um, I don't remember exactly what they're named. Uh, but basically the idea is there are different places where you can take damage, right? It's, it's mental damage, it's physical damage, or it's yeah. like supernatural damage. And why does that matter? Oh, I have three health pools. Um, 
why it matters is once one of those pools fills up, right, with a certain amount of damage, um, you take on a scar. And, and you get to choose the scar, and that's super cool. Right? Like, okay, so, like, I got, <laughs> I got, you know, messed up by a ghost, right? That ghost was inside of me doing all kinds of stuff. Maybe I was possessed. Who knows? Like, I, I took so much bleed damage, and it filled my bleed pool. I think it's called mm-hmm. pool, but whatever. Yeah, I, I took too much bleed damage, and now I need to take a scar. Yep. What I then do is I take one of these points that's essentially like a skill proficiency, and... I take it away from wherever it is and I move it to something else to show yep. what this experience did to me. Yeah, it's trauma. Yeah. How did this it, trauma it change you? And yep. two things happen right there. One, you can kind of min-max and try new stuff out, right? You can double yep. down on something else. But also it pushes the player to realize narratively there are consequences for messing around in this world. Um, if you take physical damage, yeah, maybe you've got a limp now, right? You've got a, you have an inability with, you know, uh, acrobatics, right? But all of a sudden that wound has made you a lot more observant and cautious Mm -hmm. about getting into situations. And, and again, I'm going to put it in D and D terms. It may be now you have proficiency in like your initiative or advantage on your initiative and you get, the jump on things now because you got hit hard and it got the jump on you last time and you're not letting that happen again. Like that's yeah, so like, awesome. Yeah. My my character ended up uh, essentially with PTSD <laughs> over some of the things that was happening. Right? It was it's like he he was doing his best. He'd fail a role. Uh, something terrible would happen, and all of a sudden now he is extremely cautious of that thing. Right? So for example. Uh, I couldn't look at mirrors anymore uh, because I was terrified of looking at mirrors. Uh, And because of that, I was far more observant of my surroundings. So I kind of took it out of one thing, moved it into kind of my awareness uh, so that I could always be cognizant of the things around me at any given moment to avoid looking in reflections. Uh, And that was super, super fun, super cool, uh, because it's like, oh, cool. I'm not stuck with the character I built, right? I am not stuck with the skills that I have because we've all run into that that situation in any TTRPG where we have specced out our character and we realize, oh, crap, I messed up in building my character. I didn't even take into consideration this skill and yeah. nobody has it and we are failing. Right. And so with this, it's like, cool, your failure, your hurt, your terror, all of that th- can lead you as a character as in, as in real life, right. To reassess and just kind of like pay more attention and try harder in, in certain aspects. Yeah. That was super fun. Now, uh, <laughs> the, the other thing is, again, we don't want to pretend like you could just go ham with these scars, right? Once you take three scars, I think you die, right? Like, I, I believe that's it. You're changed. Um, this is a big deal, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm just constantly shifting my character and the player can like min-max like crazy, but you do get to show progression. That being said, I believe yeah. um, all of your pools reset after like the mission that you're on, the session that you're running. Yeah, I believe that was um, it. And there's there's a lot to this system that, you know, we're not professionals. We're not deeply versed on it. We just had the opportunity to play it. And again, 
the point of this podcast is to learn from other systems and adopt things for our own GMing. Own games, and maybe yeah. we adopt the, the system wholesale, right? Like, I'm excited about a lot of the systems we're going to run. That doesn't mean I'm going to play it for right. or, or run it in my games, but I want it to do something to my gaming. I want to get better exactly. at Exactly. And yeah. I think stakes is... Um, stakes and consequences, right? Is is a deeply interesting thing that you should incorporate into your games. Um, yeah. There are like lingering injuries in Five E uh, in the DMG. Uh, like that's been in there since it came out, right. you know, way back when. Um, but not a lot of people use it, and it's and it's also not relevant for every tone of game, right? It's not relevant for every table. Right. Some people just want to be a hero. They want to be a shiny golden knight with nothing wrong with them. They don't want to, like, have deep trauma, and that's not what they're going for. So talk to your players. Yeah. Find out what the stakes and consequences that they're interested in playing with are, and depending on the genre of the game you're in, you know, like, that might be cranked up a little bit. Just, you know, in a horror game, you know, Danil checked with us in advance, and a lot of these GMs that run these games heavily rely on safety tools, um, which, right. you know, we'll have a future episode about safety tools and lines and veils and stuff like that, I'm sure. But basically, it's you got to make sure that everybody's bought in on consequences. Yeah. You know, you, you can't just go like cutting off a player's arm without them right. being excited yeah. about what's going to happen as a result. I, I say that because I've cut off DJ's character's arm. Uh, I guess true. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do it. Actually, it was another, another player, player who did, did it for me. Uh, <laughs> it was an emergency situation. We needed to. But, but yeah, like, I mean, along those lines, I have been kind of adopting some of these uh, these ideas in the 5e games that I'm running and also the Cypher games that I'm running and whatever game I'm running. So it's like, hey, until you reach this certain point, I want you to know that as a player character, you're safe from death. However, you are not safe from the consequences, no. right? And so, uh, and I, I told them, I was like, hey, we're going to work together on this. But like, if you hit zero hit points, right? And you fail your death saving throws, uh, something permanent is going yeah. to happen. And whatever that is, we're going to work together to 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 discover that and build it into your character. Um, because, you know, I mean, listen, we've all killed a character early on in a game and let's it's be honest unsatisfying it is very unsatisfying <laughs> like uh it's character not, yeah. death being <laughs> exciting and cool requires a lot from one the player and two the gm already being synced up and so like if you're just signing up for a game or whatever or if you're in a casual session or you haven't been playing with people for a while character death isn't going to be a critical role level of character death of drama and like Ding. And like it can be. Right. Yes. Like a hundred percent. I love those moments. Um, I don't have a ton of them from my games. I think that yeah. if if somebody wants to explore that part of a character and that experience, obviously, yes. Like the, you want stakes in your games. You want your players to know if they can die. But also they might yeah. be like, hey, um, I know I just died. I like playing this build. You know, and then you get like, oh, it their cousin that just joined the campaign all of a sudden, and it's the same because character. they want to play that character, right? right? So they might and not if, be yeah. open to 
character death. Dying. That's okay. Right. Exactly. It is 100% okay because like you want your players to be connected to their characters, right? You want them to be excited to play their characters and you don't want to rip that away from them for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it sucks because they are always going to essentially refill that gap with that character. Yep. But with a mustache. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I, I really Sometimes like it's fun to do that, that too. Like that's yeah. totally fine. Like it just for sure. But it depends on the, 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 the tone of the campaign yeah. too. Right. You know, if you're playing a super grim, dark type setting and then, you know, Ed dies and it's like, Oh, it's me, Eduardo. Like, Oh, take, yeah. um, <laughs> take a weird character concept, uh, back in the day. Uh, not that long ago. It's like two years ago now. But in uh, in one of DJ's campaigns, uh, our buddy of ours was playing sentient driftwood um, as a yep. character, basically. And he was like a hive mind, spore druid, all this stuff. Um, oh, my gosh. Help me out. How did he then change? Did he die? So he realized that there were gaps in the party that needed to oh, be filled, right. but he didn't want to unoptimize Pebble. Yeah. And so what we did is we kind of talked about this and he was like, hey, I'd like to kind of change now that this campaign's kind of going uh, more for a full campaign route. How about, you know, we do this? And so I worked with that character to make sure that, you know, the character survived, uh, but instead like had a change. Right. And so they became the, a different character altogether. With the same body, but yep. slightly changed. Same memories, all that stuff. Exactly. Yep. Because the backstory of their character is they are were a like he like Andrew said, uh, driftwood uh, with a fungus on it from the Underdark, and essentially they had absorbed the memories of the people that they fed on as fungus, right? The spores. The and dead. So, they already yeah. dead people. <laughs> the already dead people, right? Yeah, the people didn't who didn't make it through the Underdark. Yeah. Um, and so, like, one of the, the things about his character was, you know, there was his his creator, um, you know, was just, like, an artificer uh, who worshipped Sylvanas. And, like, basically he, he brought him in and, like, built him. And then, you know had him come to life as, like, kind of like a, uh, not, not, a, not a golem, but a construct. <laughs> and Pinocchio, yes, it was the story of Pinocchio. Um, and Just then, a driftwood, uh, uh, yeah. what, was, what was the class, or the, the race? Uh, it was Warforged. Yeah, Warforged, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a driftwood Warforged, and then, you know, prayed to Sylvanas, and, yeah. you know, made him a when real boy, you right? wish upon <laughs> Exactly. Hey, watch. Uh, no more words. Yeah. No words. <laughs> no more words. And uh, it, it was nice to like narratively allow a character to change. Right. And it's cool yeah. because Candela Obscura allows that without having to go to those lengths. Yep. Right. 100%. And that's the thing is like I had like we had to go through huge narrative like just to make it happen. Yeah. And then with Candela Obscura, it's like, oh, uh, you have taken enough injuries that the change is now starting, right? Yeah. And it could be a literal scar. It could be a figurative scar. Yep. Uh, but all that matters is that it changes an aspect of your character, uh, you know, semi-permanently. 
Now we need to sort of do a quick uh, moment, take a quick moment here to uh, name your scar. I called it just fear of reflections. Uh, like it's not a deep seated phobia or anything like that, but you do feel uncomfortable around reflections. What sort of uh, change to your character should you want to m make? You need to take away one point from one action and put it into another one. One point from one action and into another one. So we're going to uh, remove from my focus. Okay, and we're going sense. to put it in my sense uh, because I am going to be uh, trying to not view reflections except for in the peripheral of my view. I'm going to try and keep them away from me. Yeah, I mean, I think that you guys will see, uh, I'm sure we've probably sprinkled clips throughout and we'll probably throw some here at the end for you to check it out. But the full playthrough is going to be available on our Patreon. We encourage you to go over there. Uh, follow us, support the po support the podcast, support what we're doing. Take a look, enjoy the session. Um, we had an absolute blast. Danil killed it. Um, we also have a post game interview that we recorded after our session with Danil and our friend Will, who played alongside us. Please enjoy, check it out. Um, consider adding some consequences and stakes in your game. Take a look at Candela Obscura, and uh, yeah. Danielle was saying, like, if you're not an experienced role player, you're not going to know that freedom right. of, like, I don't need to have a ability spelled out for me. I'm in a current situation. I have a thing I want to do. Here's how I think it can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, GM, does this work? I thought this handled it really well. I really like how much it, it emphasizes RP, which, I mean, obviously, too, is also the GM who is running it right now, like, yep. was definitely focused on that. But like, um, yeah, I, the speed of play, the ease to get in, and then just the setting that comes with Candela is really engaging anyways. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm really into the whole like noir type, like 40s thing, but like, I really like how high the stakes get and how quickly they can ramp up. That, oh, yeah. Like, that was terrifying. Like last, that like. The men with that dude jumped out the wall. I was like, okay, this is getting serious now. I did not yeah. see that coming. What you see, uh, Sheldon, is a reflection of yourself, but it doesn't mirror your movement. It just stares um, at you. I don't like smiled. that. It's, it has a smile creeping up to the side. Don't you smack at me. We're coming. As you say, we're coming. The reflection steps out of the wall, the surface, and it's like um, it's like a figure that's made of molten wax. It's you. It has your face with this with this angry smirk that grows wider than humanly possible, just revealing um, just a black maw. And it starts like moving towards you as it grows and takes in the slime around it. Like with every step, it gets bigger, and there's this <laughs> slime uh, like appendages growing on it as it charges towards you. Um, what do you want to do? You have the initiative here as you rolled pretty well, and you were somewhat you prepared. Start blasting. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> I feel like running Candela requires a lot right it requires because like For there's the a much much deeper yeah to, to actually like run this game uh for people 
you you have to think of so many different um, uh, angles and the information that they're going to find or that they're you know is going to be available to them. Um, yeah. So that that is a lot. Uh, <laughs> and and this is not at all a critique of Danil. I think that you have to with a investigation, you have to do a certain balancing act between things making sense and just putting the players on a railroad because they you don't want them to blumber about, right? Like yeah. to yep. heavily prescribe how an investigation needs to go for it to be successful in advance and then have it be a puzzle for your players to figure out is is bad GMing, I think. If you're not, like, really thoroughly, like, you just, you're not going to get that lucky, right? Like, they're not just going to stumble in into your perfect, perfect narrative. They're going to have their own player chaos that takes them in a different direction, and you need to be able to flow with that narrative. So... This more than like a dungeon crawl is going to require that kind of GM flexibility or just literally the most amount of prep that any GM has ever done. It's it's one or the other. Right. And you have to have multiple solutions and like threads for them to follow to the next location. Like, yeah. I mean, or you just make the beats really easily. Right. And then all mm -hmm. the investigation things are just things that can help you in the fight later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, but with this, like you're, you nailed it on the head. Like by nature, I feel like the system requires a pretty high level of railroading. Yeah, yeah. and and which and I'm okay with. That's <laughs> like, fine, right? Like, not yeah. everybody wants to play a board game right now. Like they they're wanting to tell the story. And to the aspect of even how the gear system goes, this is a kind of more of an ethos thing. I think for the design of this kind of system, it's. It's not important that you perfectly planned in advance what gear to bring. It's 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 important that there's a mechanical limitation on what you could have with you. That's it. Yeah. And so as a result, in an investigation, if you take that same ethos, it's not important that the players truly unweave a like a real web conspiracy thing. Like it doesn't need to just be a puzzle on that level. It can be, and that can be fun. But it's right. more important that narratively they find their way there for, for I think, a lot of players. Yeah. I think he did a pretty pretty great job with uh, uh, some aspects, right, of that where, um, for example, when I was searching the desk, yeah. right, and I just outright failed. Uh, and, you know, I was attacked by slugs. I had my vision. I came back from my vision, and I'm holding the thing that I need in order to continue yep. the story in my yep. hand. So I wasn't necessarily overly punished smart. for that failure. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I took some, I took, I mean, it was, was brutal. It was brutal. It's like yeah, it, so yeah, it, when, when you said that, I was like, wow, you just maxed out two yeah. of your uh, marks. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a yes it and so from the GM um, for narrative, right? So it's like, yeah. It, otherwise, like consequence of failure doesn't matter, but consequence of failure should absolutely never just be a stop sign, right? Like it, I agree. Like it still needs to move forward, and so that was a interesting kind of creepy narrative way for him <laughs> to literally put what you need next in your hand because it wasn't important that you did or didn't find that in a mechanical sense. It was important narratively. And so it still should happen. Otherwise, exactly. 
what we just fail this room and we get right, nothing right. like that's not interesting what's interesting is now stakes are even higher for you you might die and you almost did you right. still got the notebook plus the 100%. nice thing about that too is like you can almost set what the states are going to be based upon just the room they're in yeah so like as a gm like you don't even need to think too hard about whatever you're just like okay they're going into this room Mm -hmm. everything in here is going to be like this and it's blatantly obvious that it doesn't matter yeah yeah which think... like that that progression from the character like side yeah ramped up really nicely and added like a very nice pacing to it yeah yeah um i would definitely be interested in uh especially after this um hearing about blades in the dark uh and more powered by the apocalypse yeah type based things um, I know that we, you know, we had a little, little bit of, uh, of an attempt with Avatar at the, uh, oh, right. at, at Gen Con, right? So it's like, I feel like I have a little bit more of a grasp, even though yeah. they're, they have different rule sets. So that'll be interesting once we're able to jump into that. Um, but I would definitely play Candela again. I would um, run and, Hellboy. Yeah. Like, I would run it more Ooh, modern yeah and i would run hellboy that yeah. would be so fun i mean it would introduce a bit more combat flavor but again you could run it the same way that we just did like in our right. makeup i if we made us the hellboy crew you know like right will was hellboy no, yeah yeah no. i was mm -hmm. uh what's his name the fish man uh man my brain's not working it's been a minute since i read hellboy uh abe and <laughs> abe, yeah you know like it, it's abe so, like, the we, sapien Ape Sapien. There we go. Yep. Um, and so, like, you know, like, there there was a lot of that dynamic. And you could just change the setting out for whatever kind of, I like, episodic light horror cop show that you liked yep. watching. Whether it was iZombie or, like, Supernatural or Hellboy, whatever. Like, it, it fits that whole play style really well without just literally blumbering around an infinite city and trying to do really overly complex, you know, house by house crawl for an investigation. Like, which is why D and D is like, I would say D and D is bad at that stuff. A hundred percent. It, it takes that. way nope. too long. There are way too many unnecessary roles. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. but you, if, if, <laughs> if you're writing something and you're making your players make like, 20 perception checks just to walk through this place like you're messing up yeah right? that, was, that was like at gen con there was a gm that did a good job i mean it's a convention it's a lot i'm not faulting them or anything but the amount of times that i was like just trying to like know what was in the room that i then was required to make a perception check before even knowing what was in the room it just reminded me of starting back in 3.5 and it, right. it felt, mm -hmm. it's just an older school of play um, that just functions more like a board game. Um, but I I do, I would pretty emphatically say I don't think as a rule that the answer should just ever be like, nope, you don't find anything, move on. Like that just, no, right. find something else. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or you I find mean, out the wrong thing, which never really happens. Right. Or or as a GM, you're like, hey, I I I don't have anything for what you're looking for right here. Um, I I you know, like let's that's that's like a point of order moment sometimes if it's really egregious where you're like, no, 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 no. This is not 
this is not working. Like if you messed up as a GM, that that's an opportunity to actually. Yeah. It's just a door. Be real and just be like, yes, just go through this and move to the next thing. Like I literally totally had fine. that happen uh, a, a couple of times, right? Because I'm running the darkest house by Monty Cook games yeah. um, Monday nights right now for one of my crews. It's just kind of like a little side track that they're on and uh a big part of it is exploring the house and like you know i told them i was like hey if something looks out of place right like it might yeah. be out of place but also like it might just be sloppy building uh yeah. on my part because i built it fully in tailspire um and so like they saw a piece of paper on the ground i was like awesome they saw the piece of paper on the ground right it's not things that are hidden from them obviously if it's hidden from them i don't put it there Yep. Um, but there's been a couple of times where like they they want to just hang out in this room and I'm just like, you guys get to the point that you feel you're fairly certain that you have uh overturned everything and that there is nothing left to be seen in this room. That yeah. way they just move on. Right. So, it's like yeah. It's one of those things where it's like once you've started to open the door literally, uh of like poking over every nook and cranny things get a little crazy and so like i think yeah. that games that drive narrative first and really build trust between the gm and the player of like look i'm showing you what you should see and i'm giving you opportunities to improve upon that and make more connections and build a better narrative i'm not here right. as a stopgap at you getting to the next location adversarial dming is hopefully more uncommon these days but really not something i've encountered a lot of over the years yeah. um but it's talked about a lot right oh for sure i've had it happen once and this dude would like legit hide his rolls or like you'd hear him re-roll it's just like why like, dude I, why? I actually had advantage why? on that oh <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i definitely when i first started gming was feeling that tension right and like we can get into a whole episode for fudging yeah. rolls and stuff like that and and rebalancing. I rebalance stuff on the fly sometimes. It's controversial. I usually like, oh, don't. Oh, that was a lot. Here's an extra yeah. 50 HP. But that's where like I think at the end of the day your values as a GM really need to be explicit for yourself. So like for me it's like is it more interesting? That's the question I ask myself. And again, that's the question of narrative. Is it more interesting that they fail this or is it more interesting that they succeed? Honestly, that that's, that right. is a question that is pr actually promoting the narrative for them as a player. And you're advocating for them for the story as opposed yeah. to, is it important for me to hide this from them? And is this going to blow up all of my plans and my world and whatever? Like if it, if it does, honestly, that's okay. It's a, your, your plans and your perfect campaigns, a lower priority sometimes than the interesting thread where a player's actually invested and wants to like discover a thing. Not that they should derail the whole campaign. That's, that's a communication issue that you can deal with, but like, right. It's okay to be like that happened. I didn't prep for it, didn't plan for it, and it messes up next session's planning. Well, welcome to D&D. &D. Uh, time to go change next session's plan. <laughs> and that happens. But yeah, I, I think Candela, with its narrative focus, it does ask a little bit more of a more of a theatrical GM. But I think that to Danil's point at the end there, I could pick up, once I knew the rules, right? 
I don't think I could, I, I don't think I would have a hard time running a session with zero prep. Like, yeah, because mm-hmm. if we reduce that session down, it was mirror needs to be broken. That was it. Like, that was the whole session. We needed to find the mirror, which we did, and it yeah. needed to break for it to stop. And we, we could save people. There were a lot of possibilities along the way. All that he needed to do, he knew he was going to have a couple locations for us to be able to investigate, and he had a location for a climax. I think that's in the rules for how you design these episodic narratives, but at its core, that's really low requirement on prep. All he had to go was, I have three victims, I have three locations to investigate, I have three clues. That's nine nouns you need to write on a piece of paper. That's it. Or just be able to come up with on the fly and make those connections. So I, right. yeah, I think zero prep. This could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's fair. Not um, that that would make the best session. I'm just saying as no, far as but, systems yeah. that you could just go bang, done. Just a nice drop in. Yeah. Drop in, drop out. You had talked about uh, like rebalancing on the fly. And I feel like that's something that I have to do to... um depending on the players right uh make things a little bit more challenging uh because you know they get smart uh yeah. <laughs> uh they or they 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 pull a a a a jake and uh you know oh i did 250 you know damage in this round and it's like how and then you just go through the list you know <laughs> um so i'm not not exactly sure how rebalancing in Candela would work, right? I don't know. As yeah, a, I mean, yeah. you're you're setting. I it kind of comes again from narrative, right? Is what I'm yeah. going to assume. So, like, because we already know that there's no DC adjustment. It's it's a similar experience. I had GMing Cipher for the first time. It was like I don't get to rebalance, right? I don't get to fudge my rolls. I don't get to do a lot of those things because I'm being transparent with my players up front at what the success condition is and what consequences right. could look like. So for yeah. Danil, he was saying, this is a high risk scenario. What does that mean to all three of us? I'm going to take marks against my brain, my bleed or my right. whatever body. Um, and I'm going to, if I fail, but that means I need to, yeah. hit, I need to hit a six. So how much do I want to make that a likely case? And so like, that's it. That's the whole transaction. Whereas in a D&D scenario, it's like the GM is obfuscating the DC usually, almost mm-hmm. always. And, and they're obfuscating health. Um, I don't think there's a right answer for if it's wrong or right to whether or not you should adjust those two things on the fly in the middle of a D&D game. It's your table. Just make sure they know that you do that. If your players right. find out you're fudging dice rolls and changing DCs on the fly, it might ruin it for them. So I would yeah. advise you to try and stick as true as to what you prepped as possible and to only divert s- when it, it feels like you are putting the narrative and, and player enjoyment ahead of what you prepped. If I'm going to get hit with something... I want to know what the number is before I say I cast shield. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think that's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. No wasting spell slot. For sure. Yeah, but then you got like counter spell, like what level is the spell I'm countering? Like you, you get into a lot of that. And again, like that just is, that's yeah. something you need to decide as a GM what you're okay with and make sure that it's representative of the kind of opt-in your players have for that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm running my Cypher game for you guys, there's trust there. And, and also, like I said, there's a lot more just upfront. Like once I say, once I have said the level, and you come out here with all your effort and abilities and you bring it to zero <laughs> and I just go, I can't say no, right? But that's actually nice sometimes. But you you can almost say I can. no. Right, yeah. you can go, so GM intrusion. Right, <laughs> right, like you, so that's what I'm saying. Like you're not diverting in Cypher in that situation. You're not diverting from the rules. You are using them. Yeah. Whereas in in 5e changing the dc of something is not it it's essentially is breaking the rules so that is again something that is important yeah. to as much as possible think into what you prep and if you screw up that's fine <laughs> yeah if the monster dies too quickly because the one player novas the crap out of them and uses all their abilities that they made their character specifically to do that give it to them don't take that away from them with a sponge of damage, right? Especially when they do, you know, 250 health or, or damage to a 256 health creature. And then like the wizard does a cantrip and takes it out on the very next turn and they don't get the kill. Like <laughs> that yeah, sucks too, but like that's when you dealing with crunchier rule sets, just how you flow with it. Cause Sometimes I will, I'll, I'll, I'll fudge health for a kill like that, right? Like if somebody does an insane amount of damage and they are two, three points away, I go, narratively, is it more interesting that they still have one hit point and that, you know, what I'm going to do next with them is going to progress the narrative or is it, do I just want to get another hit in? Right. Because is that important or is the fact that they just did a really, really cool move with tons and tons of damage and right. will be killing this anyway more interesting? You usually go for damage in that situation, but that is a fudge. Don't forget to subscribe to whichever podcast platform that you uh, enjoy. Uh, we will be growing and expanding as time goes on. I plan on releasing um, just kind of like as a side thing, some actual plays on the feed um, as well as our content here uh, that we, you know, us learning and sharing our experience with you and playing these games. So yeah, you know, click the like button if you're on YouTube, uh, share this with a friend, <laughs> give it to yeah. whoever, help us out. We're growing, we're new. And also Tell us what games you are playing that uh, maybe have interesting stakes or or ways that you've incorporated stakes into your games. Uh, maybe yeah. you're playing Blades in the Dark and you've got some advice for us. Let us know in the comments. Um, we want to hear from you and uh, appreciate you from listening. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>